Hello and welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where Macintosh and Mod force each other to watch movies they should have already seen. I'm David, aka Macintosh. And I'm Diana, aka Mod. What are we watching this week? everybody, this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. I'm Diana. Mod. And this week, we watched The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yep. And if you have to hear that theme one more time... I'm gonna slap somebody. <laughs> okay, let me just say that it's a good theme, but there needed to be more of it or less of it. Well, it's a three-hour movie. Okay, there definitely needed to be less movie. <laughs> But the theme is good. Yes. They, they either needed more to the theme itself, or they needed to not use it quite as much. I don't know. There's, there's we'll, a balance problem there. We will dedicate a whole section okay. of our talk to the score. Okay. Because it is such an integral part of this movie. Mm-hmm. So, the, the description is, A bounty hunting scam joins two men in an uneasy alliance against a third in a race to find a fortune in gold buried in a remote cemetery. Okay. So, just the tiniest bit of background. This is the third in a trilogy. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. It comes... Um, the first movie was called A Fistful of Dollars. Okay. Then for a few dollars more. And this is the third. Although, chronologically, it is a prequel to the other two. Okay. It's, it's kind of funny. I started out when I saw these... I saw Fistful of Dollars. Okay. And really, it was around high school. I had a bunch of friends who got obsessed with these movies, the Western Dusters, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And some of that was, I had to have been around the time I did The Crucible because that was part of the costume design that we used for The Crucible. They took inspiration for some of the coats from that look. Okay. And it might have been related to Matrix stuff, too. But there was... <clears throat> I'm guessing I'm going to lean a little bit more on the Matrix. Well, no, I think I think there was definitively a Western style that they that they went with those dusters. There okay. was something specific there. Um, regardless, they were obsessed with it, and I had heard about it long enough that I was like, all right, I got to go give this a shot. Mm-hmm. And so I started with I started with the trilogy, and I started with a fistful of dollars. Mm-hmm. That is a direct ripoff remake. In fact, almost frame for frame of a Kurosawa samurai movie. Yeah. The uh, Fistful of Dollars is. Um, Aren't the... a lot of Western films just rip off of samurai films? Well, Kurosawa specifically. Mm-hmm. Because Kurosawa was not ripping off, but very inspired by John Ford and John okay. Wayne movies. Okay. Um, Stagecoach and things like that from the 30s. Okay. So Kurosawa was inspired for that and set his samurai films in sort of the country of the west mm-hmm. of Japan. You know, Seven Samurai and these types of things. Seven Samurai then inspires yeah. Magnificent Seven and all these things. Yeah. But rather than this being an inspiration, it was Leone's, like, almost shot-for-shot psycho Gus Van Zant remake. Hmm. <laughs> but it brought Clint Eastwood into some sort of fame and notoriety. Okay. And it really blew up with this movie. They, there's a really interesting little tidbit in there from Roger Ebert in the in the DVD copy I have, where he's like, you know, these movies were notorious for not having any continuity. These were done on shoestring budgets. In fact, this movie, and I, I read it somewhere, but I'll have to look at it here. 
was done for $1.2 million. That's nothing. But for an Italian film and an Italian exploitation film, it was an enormous budget. Yes. And it go and some of what I think is great about this movie is it goes to show what you can do with a shoestring budget. Mm, I don't know about that. To be fair, he's got set locations. The what he's able to film and what he's able to pull off effects wise is pretty impressive. Some of it is okay. I agree with that. Some of it is pretty impressive. The explosions, some of the views. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, I, I'll agree with that. <laughs> To talk about, we are wa- we are watching the 2002 remastered version, mm-hmm. and because of that, there's this weird little parts, and you have to you have to be paying attention a little bit to notice. Mm-hmm. But you can tell there's about 15 minutes of the movie where they had to redo the voiceovers because in these movies everything is overdubbed. Yeah, they, there didn't, is... they didn't mic anybody or have yeah. a sound guy. And it was a tradition for Italian films because in Italy it was notoriously you couldn't film without somebody interrupting the sound in your shot yeah because it's rome well and so, then if they wanted anyone to see it they were gonna have to add subtitles or overdub in another language anyway so there was no point exactly it just makes more sense to redub the vocals in later yeah but because they added these scenes and didn't have a soundtrack for them clint eastwood and eli wallach in 2002 aged 40 years mm-hmm. now came in and redubbed their lines and it sounds a little weird it's a little disorienting because they're like, wait, why? And and there's just bits where their mouths don't really match up. Yeah. And it's not necessarily overdumbing. It's just uh, the new scenes. It's just, oh, okay, these guys must have not have had good accents. It's like, no, those are the guys. It's yeah. Just, that's just how it was done. Yeah. It's, it's, that's weird. It's weird. I think it's something that it, I probably could have like explained beforehand. Because you do need a little forewarning on it. Especially when you're rolling into these. Maybe. Um, okay. Where should we start? Let's start with your overall feeling on the movie. I don't think it's great, but how do you feel about it? It's a long walk for a short drink of water. <laughs> that, that's this whole movie. It's, uh-huh. it's a whole lot of this, and then this, and then let's ride around on a horse in the desert, and then this, and then a little bit of that, and then we shoot some people. It's you could take half of the movie out. I disagree. And it wouldn't change the story. But I disagree. And it would actually make it a little better. I this, think... would be, this would be an interesting editing uh, assignment for somebody. I agree. However, what you lose in cutting out certain chunks of the movie is the tension that's created. There's an hour of this film is just nothing. <laughs> that's not tension... That's boredom, and somebody's saying, I really like this shot, so I want to do my movie. Well, that's true. Or, I really like this shot and my score. Let's keep it in my movie. That's all it is. It doesn't serve the story. It doesn't serve the tension. Towards the end, yeah, that went on a little long, but they are building tension. That makes sense. It is helpful. It's... But they do the same thing over and over again. It's like every time, let's add an extra 20 minutes. Between the no! o- Between the opening 20 minutes and the closing 20 minutes, there is a whole lot of stuff that just is unnecessary. It's a lot of crap. Now, 
I will hands down say you can't do anything with the first 20 minutes where you introduce those three characters, and you shouldn't do anything with the last 20 minutes. Tighten with the front part just a little. A little bit, but I think those do such an amazing job of establishing the characters. And then, honestly, the movie is almost worth the watch alone just for the last about 15 minutes of the movie. When they get to the graveyard. Maybe. Because to me, that's an astounding scene. <laughs> I still love that. It's it's a good it's a good scene. I, yeah, I, I I agree. But yeah, you could take out half this movie. Yeah, much. it is. And what's really funny is the other movies are like clock in at under two hours. Um, Great. His his other movie after this and sort of an opus was Once Upon a Time in the West, which is longer, but I feel like is tighter. Hmm. Okay, I'm they, not opposed to a long movie. Yeah, they do a lot of the same like long setup pieces, long things. And that's just the Leone style. It's, we're going to set up a, a, a gunshot or a, a showdown for about three to four minutes with all these guys staring at each other and the actual gunshot, gunfire is going to take about five seconds. Yeah. We're going to ratchet up the tension as high as we possibly can and then it just explodes as quickly as possible. Well, and that's not an unusual concept. People do that all the time to varying degrees of success and sometimes it's done for comedic. Yeah. Timing and sometimes it's done just to just to undercut all the time. I mean, it's it's not new. I think. Well, the hard thing is, is that for this movie, it, it, it was, was new. No, I I get that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that it was very successful. It's not as successful as some of the other stuff I've seen him okay. do, for okay. sure. Okay. I think Once Upon a Time in the West is a better movie. This is the sure. only. This is the only thing I've seen of him. Yeah. I think this is the only young. Clint Eastwood I've ever seen either. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, I've never seen the Dirty Harrys, so I mean, yeah, this is this is probably the youngest Clint Eastwood I've seen. Well, let's go. Let's let's fade that into the actors then, because okay. that's a really easy segue. So, Clint Eastwood, mm -hmm. what'd you think? I like him. Um, I can't say that I see much of a range this. <laughs> You're not supposed to. I mean, yeah, that's... And, and again, I say that with, I have seen very little of him. Yeah. Um, he looks the same. His hair's just white and he's a little bit more wrinkly. Um, his son looks exactly like him, just not as scrawny, which is weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, his son, Scott Eastwood, he was in Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He's he's good. I mean, his biggest claim to fame up until this point had been Rawhide. Mm -hmm. He yeah, spent he six was... seasons on Rawhide, yeah. and that's what got him initially the roles with uh, Leone. Yeah, the cowboy. Yeah, um, was he's but... good? I I kind of didn't. Okay, they call him Blondie. Yes, he's not blonde, but is it more to do with his skin color? I don't know. Well, okay. So part of this part of this is and and again. It might help to see those other two movies before, because throughout that's, this whole I'm just thing, like, no, that's not happening. No, <laughs> and I'm not, and I don't intend for that. Um, but having seen it, part of the the trilogy, some people call it the Dollars trilogy. I, that's stupid because it's really called the Man with No Name trilogy. Okay. In all of these movies, he has no name. Okay. He is never referred to by name, and I think as because this is supposed to be a prequel, mm -hmm. they're calling him Blondie because. He's dusty blonde, especially for where he is. I yeah, mean, and he's certainly the lightest skinned actor. Yeah, for there, so that that's fine. I was just trying to see if there was something there that I missed. No, I, I, you know, I think he 
He's blonde compared to Tuco for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that might just be the only thing they're playing on. I don't know. Okay. Um, but you know, in the other movies, I'm trying to look. He's he's called three different names in each of the movies. Fistful of Dollars. He's called Joe. Then Monko and a few dollars more. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, he's called Blondie. But basically, everybody calls him the man with no name. Okay. Because the whole point is he's a drifter. Yeah. What did you think about the anti-hero aspect of him? Being the white, he's the white head of this movie, and yet he's he's about as His bad as anybody else. His hands Nobody's are... hands are clean. No, no, that's fine. I think they could have played into that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I don't. I feel like that suspense mm-hmm. of okay, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Because like we we introduce him, and oh, we think he's a bad guy. Oh wait, but he's he's hooked up with Tuco. It's a it's a scam. Yeah. It's a it's a bounty hunter scam. Okay, great. And that plays off great later, but the tension wasn't there for me. Um, I was just like, oh, this is what's gonna happen. Some of that what's could be, happen. and some of that could be the pace. I mean, I I I think there's a level to you can pace it and mm-hmm. ratchet it up, but at a certain point, if it goes too long, you lose everybody's focus and then it goes away. Well, because then you start focusing on how long is this going to go on. I know. As opposed to what's happening. Oh. oh. Yeah. Um, Do you think that might be an attention span thing? No. I don't know. Because I feel like people people love the pacing of this movie. Like, I revere it. They're wrong. <laughs> I like... I'm not opposed to a three-hour movie. Zodiac? That's just, a three-hour movie. And, Departed? Yeah. is a three-hour movie. Titanic, which I saw six times in the theater. But are you okay with a three-hour movie that's slow? Depends on what kind of slow it is. Yeah. Because I'm not against a slow movie. You don't. No f- Country for Old Men is a slow movie. You don't feel like this is slow intentionally. You feel like it's it's poorly plotted out on how slow it was. Correct. Okay. Then that's fair. We'll go to the next actor. Mm-hmm. Eli Wallach as Tuco. He's great. I would have liked a little bit more clown aspect of him. Yeah. Um, but he's he is a great foil to Clint Eastwood. He is a method actor of method actors. Okay. Um, with the whole crew from the actor's studio. Mm-hmm. I don't see a whole lot of... I mean, he was in The Magnificent Seven. I thought he was in so much more stuff. And I it turns out like I was wrong. He was in a lot of movies that I hadn't ever really seen anything of. Well, he's he's the clown in the movie, and he's, yeah. he's the ugly part, which I think is kind of funny, because um, he's not an unattractive. I mean, he's not an attractive man, but he's not like he's not a hideous person. Well, it's it's the personality. You no, know, and I get that. Um, but I, I would have liked a little bit more um, of that. I mean, is he Italian? No, Eli Wallach is actually white and Jewish. That is surprising. Really? Also, not given the time it <laughs> when it was um, filmed. Uh, um, but I would have liked that a little bit more of the, given that this is an Italian director and this is done in Italy, I, we needed a little more commedia dell'arte. Well, and we'll talk. Um, it's it was it was an Italian director, Italian film crew filmed in Spain. Okay. And so there's a bunch of Spanish actors throughout so, here yeah. too. No, I get that. Um, they use these local Spanish actors some. Italian actors that he'd worked with. It was just a bunch of mixed mixed groups of people. Just that Camino Dolce quality. Um, yeah. That heightened character aspect. 
we didn't get from him, and I would have he his character we should have. I've got a feeling that Leone is. Uh, some of it's the context of what he was in. Mm-hmm. This is part of a tradition of basically exploitation films that we had. These guys were like the exact opposite of the Fellinis of the world, and were you know making on the cheap pulp movies. This is where the Jang- the original Django movies came out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, the original Django came out the same year as Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Okay. So it's all the same tradition. This, what makes Leone revered over others is the artistry that he does put into it. Okay. Because there, and I I see that definitely. There's some genuine artistry in the filmmaking he's doing versus mm-hmm. just slopping a movie together and giving it to a producer. No, he's that's... trying to frame things. No, in a I get certain that. Um, okay, so let's just say that if we were going to redo this movie, yeah. Aside from cutting half of it out, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Um, I would make that, I would make the ugly character a little bit more of a comedian, and, um, to play off of the straight character that is the Clint Eastwood character, the good character. Right. Um, because when those two are together, it's great. When they're playing off each other and be like, did you think I trusted you? They, like, the one-liners to each other are great. Well, just the, the, there are two kinds of people that Tuco says to him over and over in that last bit at the end. Mm -hmm. There are two kinds of people. Those who shoot. Those, those are dig. dig. Now dig. dig. Yeah. <laughs> um, the last main American actor is Lee Van Cleef mm-hmm. as Angel Eyes. What else have we seen him? Ah, he was on Gunsmoke. Okay. okay. So that was one of the things. Okay, so again, I didn't have cable growing up, but Gunsmoke would, would be replayed. And that wasn't something I would watch, but every now and then it would just be on... Because I, I knew I recognized him. That yeah, not, and it looks like he was he was a guest star in a bunch of westerns. Have Gun Will Travel, Rawhide. He did a bunch of that stuff. The thing I knew him from was for a few dollars yeah. more because I'd seen him in the second movie. Mm-hmm. What's funny about that is he was kind of a good guy in that movie. Mm-hmm. He was sort of a white hat sheriff type figure, authority figure in that movie. And well, in this one, he is the polar opposite. So he's not playing the same character. No. Okay, he can't be, clearly. No, he's not. Because he's playing a deplorable human being. So this is this is one thing I love about all these movies I've seen. Mm-hmm. When he has a bad guy, he makes him bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lee Van Cleef, when, when there's the scene with the prostitute and he slaps her, mm-hmm. Lee Van Cleef was like, I'm not hitting her. I don't hit women. And so, and the actress is like, no, 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 it's fine, we'll do it. Because she's an Italian actress, yeah, she's it's like, a scene. I, it's like, a scene, I'll take a slap. Pretend, yeah. But he he was vehemently opposed, and Leone's like, it's in the script, this is insistent. Because he makes his bad guys bad. Yeah. I think, you know, you're not going to see it, so I'll go ahead and tell you this, and it's in the intro of Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm-hmm. Henry Fonda, 12 Angry Men, yeah, Rapes no, of Wrath. He's, he's the bad guy in that movie. Okay. He kills a kid in the first ten minutes of the movie. That sounds like fun. A child. Yeah. That's insane. That seems Seeing like... in a western. <laughs> no, that seems pretty normal in a western. Now, but Probably. again, okay. 1966. Okay. Imagine yeah. seeing that first scene with him and the farmer, mm-hmm. and him just murder those people murder in cold blood. No. Throw the woman down, slap a prostitute in the face, torture. Tuco in the in the prison camp. I mean, I've seen all of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Those prostitutes get slapped a lot. <laughs> <laughs> for 
for me. No, I, I understand all that. And what was weird was when I saw this initially, it kind of shocked me. Mm-hmm. I had a certain expectation of a Western. I think it's the just abruptness that Leone just goes, yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to go there. And I'm not even going to apologize for it. I think my problem is that him and Blondie are played the exact same way. Mm. And And it's really just all it is is the visual between the white hat and the black hat. Um, well, on the one hand, Angel Eyes has been paid to do this. Right. Um, he's got a job to do, and he said, when I've been paid, I'm going to finish my job. Like, okay, I can get that. Whereas Blondie... He's in it for something, and he doesn't want to hurt his friend, but, you know, he's he's not above letting him suffer a little bit when he's been a dick. Well, like, there's a scene, Blondie has a moral conscience. A little bit. But they're both, the way those actors perform is as though they're, they're, re- they're playing the exact same character. Yeah. And if they were each a little bit more nuanced, or... We didn't have, you know, 20 minutes in between a scene with each one of them. <laughs> That's... Where we kind of forget who everyone is. Right. Um, that could be interesting to see two sides of the same coin. Because that's essentially what they are. That would have been more interesting. Okay, so let's talk about the style of the movie itself. Um, in terms of the look, the feel, setting aside the pace of it. It looks good. Yeah. I mean, it... I like, um, it, it just, it feels very Western. Yeah. Like what I've come to expect from Westerns. Everyone's dirty. Yes. That's one thing that I, I really felt like it, it was a, it was a brand revelation of. And that was the thing we really liked about Deadwood when we watched that. Oh yeah. Um, cause everyone was gross. Exactly. Everyone is gross. And um, that's the way the West was. And I really liked, I was impressed with the makeup they did on Clint Eastwood when he was dehydrated. Oh, that was something... I I was going to bring that up, too. I loved it. That was perfect makeup style. Um, I mean... Some of the the wounds were really good, too. The mm -hmm. shots and things like that. Yes. And I was was impressed. Uh, I know, and I liked that. Um, I feel like everything seemed... Nothing was felt out of place stylistically. What did you think about the location itself? Because we're in the foothills of Spain, which is completely different terrain than the West. It felt like it was a lot of desert. And I feel like it should have been a little bit more green. Like, patchy, but green. Yeah. Um, Which, but uh, I didn't care. Well, it should, you know, even in the, even in the dusty parts. Right. It's just even when you're in the dusty parts of the West, that's the plains. So there shouldn't be dunes. That's the only one that I think is, is a little concerning. But it is interesting because it's a bit disorienting for the American viewer to be like, this is not what I think the West looks like at all. No, it's not the West at all. Because, you know, when I'm watching it, I'm thinking about, okay, are they in California? Yeah. Are they filmed this in California? But I think that's intentional. That's, maybe. But it, there should have been more green. Yeah. More trees. They should have been gone through, like, at least one forest. That's fair. I mean, they kind of do once they get to the, the camps and nah, the union camps. Not really. All right. So let's touch on what I think might be my favorite part of okay. this movie, which is the score by the wonderful Ennio Morricone. Was this his first one? No, this was not his first score. Um, was it his first big one? It was. Okay. Most of the, he, I mean, he was 
well-established in Italian cinema at this point, and mm-hmm. he had done for a few dollars more, this is the first thing that just broke open wide. And, s- and then from that point, he became, I mean, for a while, he still did a lot of these movies that were huge cult following movies, but that weren't necessarily big deal studio movies, mm-hmm. but over time just continued to put out great score after great score. Mm-hmm. I mean, in many ways, you know, you, you, you've, mentioned the theme itself which is just so the theme is very it's very iconic of course um it's been my whole life anytime any show or movie has a western style scene um or a a showdown they play this theme yeah all the time western or not this is what they play and that's okay it's great it does its job um, part of a little bit of the trivia was that it was meant to sound like the wolves and coyotes. Yeah. And so that's, I get that. It's great. Um, but for me, the two pieces that really are the pinnacle, mm-hmm. though I really love some of the music that he does for the Civil War scenes. The, sure. I just like how somber it is. Mm-hmm. That normally we get these things and it's battle and marches and it's like, yeah. that's not it at all. He's basically like, these guys were dying or were drunk or were just desperate to get out of here. And it's completely somber tone when you see the war scenes. Uh-huh. Which fits what he, what the directing is put going for there. Mm. Um, but for me, the piece, The Ecstasy of Gold, which is Tuco running into the cemetery. Yes. Um, which is beautiful music. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds a lot better. The The quality on the, the film... Isn't quite as good as a full orchestral version of it, which sounds incredible. Well, that's true, I think, of all scores. I know. But, like, in this case, it it even gets amplified up more. Okay. But fits the the motion of that scene and how he's running through, desperately searching to find this gold. It's also been Metallica's entrance music since, like, 1984. Weird. Yeah. And a lot of bands actually use it as, like, their intro music. I don't know why. Probably Metallica did it first. That's weird. It's it's one weird tidbit I know. That's weird. Um, the other one is um, right after that this the music used in the gunfight, which I also think is when when it crescendos and they're all three in their place for the standoff. Hmm. I just love it. I love how that fits with that scene. That whole sequence to me between the the score I think seals it. As really, really amazing. I don't remember that particular piece as well. It's it's basically an an arpeggiated form on that ecstasy of gold theme no, no, that then I, plays into a sort of a Mexican. It probably just all felt pride. part as one thing. Yeah. Know, so yeah. I probably didn't. It probably didn't read to me as since it's the first time I've seen it. Of course, as a different piece of music. Um, those two to me though are just that whole t- fifteen minute sequence. You could have just done anything and i have just been glued to the screen uh-huh. um so overall like you can see how he he became so revered just from sort of the score alone mm-hmm. all right well i think that's that pretty much seals it i mean three hour movie not a lot happens nope <laughs> star ratings i originally had a pretty high one i'm gonna downgrade it just a slight bit by some of the things that we've talked about, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with 3-5. Okay. Um, I was going to do a 4. 
Um, because right after the movie, I was like, I was in. I was sold in. You just love that score. I love the like score. last 15 minutes, but you have to work so hard to get to it. It's just not right. It's not just that, though. I love the vibe. I love the vibe of the movie. I love the feel of the movie. And I think either you're into that mm-hmm. or you're not. Okay. Um, for me, um, it's a must-see. And if you and like I like I've said to uh-huh. you, I think if you like this movie, then go watch all the other ones because yeah. it's somewhat more of the same. But then there's some different storylines and different things we get to do. So that's kind of nice. You know, it's one of those either you're gonna just buy in and just go, wow, this is so cool, or you're gonna be like, eh, why are we waiting so long? Hmm. While I totally, I have to downgrade it some because I totally agree, it's too long. <laughs> Yes, it is too long <laughs> by about an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> um, what would you give it? A two. A two. Music's great. Yep. Idea's good. Clint Eastwood. I, there are acting elements that I really liked, but it, everything um, that was good gets, for me, gets shat on by a lot of exposition that isn't, I mean, it, it's pointless. By a lot of very, very pretty screenshots that don't mean anything. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. I get it. Come on. Yeah. Like, and it's not, an, it's, it's not solely an attention thing. It's just like, I'm literally doing nothing here. No, I Come on, you. let's go. Like I say, I think it's that vibe. If you, yeah. when, if you buy in, then you're all sold in. But if you're not, then this is a long slog. And I'm not against a Western. No, no, I no, like no. Western. Believe me, I get it. It's... It's it's Leone. You either buy into it and you're t- and you're sold. Well, I do not. Or you're not bought into it, Mm-mm. and it, this is a, gonna be a slog and a half for you. Hey, hey, it's still better than RoboCop. It is better than RoboCop, and like you said, you've seen worse. <laughs> I totally have seen worse. I've seen <laughs> so, worse than RoboCop. Yeah. So, um, well, then what are we watching next time? The Sound of Music. Ooh. Nineteen sixty-five best Oscar picture winner. How uh. How bad is it that I haven't seen this movie? This is a travesty. <laughs> just just the fact that we have been together for as long as we have and you haven't seen it, I think that's what's worse. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That you've made it this far with me and you haven't seen the movie. You know what's really sad? I don't even think I've seen, like, I've seen clips. I don't think I've seen a full scene of the movie. We did watch the first, the opening two numbers of The Sound of Music Live, and I said, this is crap, and turned it off. Oh, we, yeah. I was offended. I was offended. I haven't even seen it. To be fair, the stage version is very different from the movie. Yeah. So that caught a lot of people off guard, because you, you start, it's just weird comparatively well that's not true it's bad <laughs> it was bad though audra mcdonald is a treasure let's, let's be clear things uh, things can be very bad and have good times that's true so so we're um, gonna do that sound of music all right so what movie did we see in theaters this week we saw ladybird the Adventures of a Young Woman Living in Northern California for a Year. That pretty much sums that up. That's correct. You got a nice short synopsis. Yeah. It's hard to do. Um, this is the directorial debut of Greta Gerwig. And she also wrote this. She's written a lot of things for that she's also starting, but this is the first one that she's directed. I'll say first major, she apparently has a, a very unknown indie movie on that she directed back in like 2008. Oh. But this is the first big thing that's come out 
in a wide release form. Oh, okay. I thought this was your first one. Um, hmm. Been a long-standing indie actress and writer for past yeah her few most years. her most recent one that was got a lot of acclaim was Frances Ha. Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix. I haven't seen it. She wrote, I believe she wrote that, and uh, Noah Baumbach was the director mm-hmm. behind that and some of the other stuff she's done. Um, but she's also just been a character actor in a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. We saw a little promo at the Alamo that showed, like, you know. Yeah, that was a bad promo because that made me hate her. Wow, really? I can't think, she, I don't think she can act to save her life. Huh. I actually thought she was really natural and interesting. No. No. Is it that mumblecore thing? A little bit. Do you not like mumblecore? I think it's let's pretend to be awkward and inept and make it seem like it's charming and it's not. I think it is at its worst. I think at its best, it's very natural and interesting to watch. There's, there's, and it's a very mixed bag. The bits that we saw, yeah, there is nothing natural or raw or vulnerable about those characters. It's just. I'm awkward, but really, um, I'm really full of myself and confident, and that makes me hot. That's who she plays. That's what she writes. Yeah. And it's none of those things, and I just want to slap you. Yeah. That's that's the vibe I get. Which they didn't show, they didn't show, like, almost anything except the trailer for Frances Ha, which is its own completely different thing. But the trailer had Grace Gummer, who we adore. Yeah. I, I really like her, so I... I'll probably end up go watching that mostly for her. What's really weird is that one with um, Adam Duplass where you're like, oh my gosh, you were a baby. It, <laughs> it was like from 2005 and they're filming it on a digital video camera. The Duplass brothers have been around for a while. I know. It's it's weird. Okay, so this movie stars Trisha Ronan, who she was in Brooklyn, um, Atonement. Uh, so yeah, she's the lead in this, um, and then we've also got Lori Metcalf plays her mother, mm-hmm. um, and then um, we got Lois Smith plays one of the nuns at the school, and uh, uh, Sir Ronan's character, Lady Bird, um, her best friend is uh, played by Beanie Feldstein, who you may not have heard of before, but she's actually becoming quite famous right now. Uh huh. She is the little sister of Jonah Hill. And she's currently on Broadway as Minnie Faye in Hello Dolly with Bette Midler. She's also got a few, a few smaller, small, few little credits showing up here. Um, there's a Timothy Chamelay who he is the lead in Call Me by Your Name. Yes, which is also getting huge buzz right now. Yeah, so it, he's he's got a small role here. Um, it's I mean it's an ensemble. Yeah, there's a lot of one-offs after that. The main players are Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf, who are wonderful. Um, Saoirse's... The whole movie is incredibly vulnerable mm-hmm. in a really good way. Yes. I also love... I love the fact that we're in a Catholic high school, and nobody in the administration is overly, like, just evil and pressuring about the Catholicism. It's It's very ritualistic. That's it. It's it's that it's and a, it's it's a ritual and a tradition. That's how it's presented in the movie. Yes, I think they genuinely. Be, I think there's a genuine faith there. Not presented in this movie. Okay, I felt like there was, yeah. but the flip side was I felt like they also genuinely cared about the kids, which is something that doesn't get shown. 
in a lot of movies where they portray a Catholic school. It was just a school that yeah. happens to be a Catholic school. Exactly. That's it. That's all that it was. Yeah. Um, that's just not the case in a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's she's just raw and vulnerable and really great at playing a 17-year-old. She feels like a 17-year-old the mm-hmm. whole time. She's just a girl who's trying to figure it out. Yeah. Which can be hard for adult actresses to pull off. Well, she's only 23. So yeah. she's not that far removed from it. So that's okay. Um, um, but but Saoirse Ronan's great. Um, and Laurie Metcalf. I love her. She's she's wonderful. It's a chance to see her finally just go full out. And, and get to see her full range. Because a lot of times she's... We've seen all of her comedic stuff. Exactly. And this is a great opportunity to see her as um, a very multifaceted character. Yeah. And, man, she pulls it off. I mean, I, I feel like she gives a near-flawless performance in the movie. Yeah, I really... Uh, yeah, she's good. She is... If anybody's getting nominated, she is for supporting yes. actress by far. Yes. This movie is going to get nominated for writing, and it's going to get nominated for... I, I really do believe Laurie Metcalf's going to get nominated. I wouldn't be surprised if Saoirse Ronan is nominated as well. Um, she's been nominated before. The yeah. Academy does like her. Um, she's been around for a little while. She's kind of one of those little phenoms. Yeah. What about Tracy Letts as the dad? That's Tracy Letts. Yes. He's great. Writer of many Pulitzer Prize winning plays. Mm-hmm. No, I, I really liked him. Just a wonderful dad character. Mm-hmm. Good. It's a good dad character. Which um, I just like seeing in things. We just set that aside there. I like seeing awesome dads in movies. So this this movie gave me a lot of Juno vibes in that it's a coming of age story. There's a lot of tension with the parents, but the parents aren't stupid or absent. Yeah. Which was a huge deal with Juno because usually the parents are stupid or they're not there. And that's not the case here. And so I appreciate that. Um, um, the thing I think that sets it apart from Juno, and I don't, this isn't to say anything bad about Juno, is that this doesn't feel as, twee seems like a harsh word. It doesn't feel as stylized as Juno was. Oh, this is very stylized. Huh. This is very stylized. I didn't get that vibe. Okay. No. Mm. I don't know. I... I feel a lot about this the way I felt about La La Land. Ooh. Everyone thinks this is the most amazing thing they've ever seen in their lives, and I think it's shit. I do not think this movie is shit, but I think it's going to get a lot more accolades than it deserves. Okay. I I was in. I liked it, it is, from, it is, from head to toe. It is a good movie. There are good performances. I fully expect nominations. I do not expect wins. That's, okay. that's that's where I'm drawing the line on this. I could see maybe a Golden Globe, some sad, you know, some of those smaller awards. I don't see it taken home in a gold trophies. I could see a best original screenplay. Depending on what else we see. It, de- and it depends on what it's else. It's a qualifier, but, you know. Um, I think, I think, well, that's original adaptation. Sorry, I'm, I'm thinking Disaster Artist is more likely to take that prize. Oh, well, that one, yeah. That's, that would be adapted. That's adapted. I, that's adapted. Um... I don't we'll, know. We'll have the argument. I think it's I it's good. It's gonna get nominations. I don't think it's gonna win. I'd say it's okay. And I said it a little higher than that. I don't feel like that. I, I I don't I don't feel that vibe from it. I just genuinely enjoyed it, mm-hmm. top to toe, from a movie. I didn't have a whole lot of complaints about it. 
I bought into the characters as real for me mm-hmm. um, without it being too over the top in any way. Like I just, That's fair. I just did. And I, I, and I and think I, I didn't. Yeah. But here's the other thing is I'm a girl. I've lived some of this. That's fair. So some of this is just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the thing I thought was the bet. I really loved the relationship between um, Lady Bird and her best friend. Uh-huh. Yes. I really like that. And then there's a whole thing about theater, which is very accurate. Oh, it's so much fun. It's very accurate. I think that might have been when they won me over, was there was like, oh, we're going full high school theater with this movie. It's, it's um, <laughs> we've lived those scenes. I know. It's very funny. Um, so if I had to rate this, I would probably give it a solid three. Okay. Honestly, mm-hmm. I'm going four. Okay. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Um. I don't, I, I, I can't explain why, which is weird, other than I just felt, I felt that same vibe with, like, Little Miss Sunshine, where I was just like, I buy all of these characters oh, and this situation. See, Little Miss Sunshine, I, would, I could give a five to. Yeah, I would There's too. There's nothing I would change. I mean, I th- it's, it's a better movie, no doubt. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. But it's, it's that same thing of, from the very first moment that I met these characters, mm-hmm. I just bought in. There's a little bit that's ridiculous, but overall, I buy into everybody here, and everybody gets a chance to be human, which is really cool. Well, I fully buy Lady Bird. Yeah. There's just some other stuff that I'm just like, ugh, whatever. I just just like that every character got a chance to be real. Every character. Whether or not they pulled it off is debatable, but they got a chance to. Okay. (laughs) Which you don't get in movies very Mm. often. (laughs) Well, all right. Till next time. Bye. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com.